Good morning. Today's guest is Jerry Robitaille. Jerry has decades of corporate finance and business ownership experience, focusing mainly on corporations looking to grow through acquisitions and sourcing capital. So what does the merger and acquisition space look like in Calgary, and what guidance would he have for business looking to grow in that way? Let's ask him. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, David and Tara. How are you? Good morning. Doing well, thanks. How about you? Excellent. It's another sunny day in Calgary. Yes. Perfect. So, Tara, are you ready with your first question to Jerry? Of course I am. I'm prepped, ready to go here. <laughs> All right, Jerry. So what, um, what trends are you seeing with mergers and acquisitions in Calgary at the point? So Calgary, Tara, has actually um, seen a very similar um, uptick, shall we say, from the global liquidity. So interest rates are low. There's been trillions literally pumped into the global markets. A lot of that is chasing returns. So although we still think of Calgary uh, often traditionally as the uh, oil and gas E&P folks, uh, that's changing rapidly and there's a lot of capital being deployed, looking for uh, transactions, whether it's in technology, uh, we see it in manufacturing, we see it in agriculture. So uh, I, I would say at the moment, it's never been as, as frothy in terms of in investors uh, seeking, seeking opportunities outside of that traditional energy producer side. I like that word, frothy. That's a good descriptor. <laughs> Jerry, you have the experience pre-COVID, during COVID, and now past COVID. Can we use BC and AC as before COVID and after COVID? <laughs> sure. What's the difference you see before COVID and after COVID in the terms of uh, what kind of industries are kind of going ahead, full throttle, trying to do acquisitions, dispositions? Yeah. So the one that is top of mind and it's hard to pick up a paper without reading about some transaction related to it is, is technology. Before COVID, technology was almost a niche sector where a few investors would play in it. People viewed that sector as being something which lived in the fringes, but really it's Silicon Valley or perhaps uh, Ottawa or Kitchener-Waterloo area, if it's Canada, Vancouver certainly. It's now become mainstream. Technology is a thing in Calgary. You, you think about the, the trends, and I know you're not, you're not quite asking me this, this question, but the problem is there isn't there isn't a, in my view, uh, a very clear delineation between before COVID and after COVID because we're in Alberta. We had four or five years of downturn. So if you look around, a lot of what's happening in downtown Calgary, a lot of what is attracting folks here is, is the basic uh, factors of production, land, labor, and capital. 
And when I say labor, I mean technology and skill set, know-how, and land includes the, the infrastructure. So we were built, this town, this, this infrastructure for corporations that can handle 30 or 40%, occupy 30 or 40% more space. And you got folks like Scott Hutchinson with the Edison and many other developers that are recognizing the space has to be adapted to this, this new economy. COVID put that into hyperdrive. And a lot of it is related to uh, digitizing what's, what we are already seeing out there. Entrepreneurs, as, as you know, David, you're one, they're successful because they recognize there's a better way to do things. And when you talk to folks on your show, a lot of those entrepreneurs struggled with some aspect of their business, and they created a solution for it. Tech is just sort of a fancy, uh, fancy way of, of creating a new widget that makes our life easier. But instead of a plastic shoehorn, now it's some form of software that we can load up on our phone as an app. But it's the same philosophy. And we've got the land, we've got the skill set, we certainly have the capital here as well. Do we have the billions of dollars being invested internationally into new oil sands projects or, or drilling programs? No. But the capital is certainly there for that, uh, call it new economy. And I, 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 I hesitate to call it a new economy because I think it's just a natural progression. As you don't have to hesitate. We call it the new economy as well. <laughs> All right. So, you know, we've seen some companies get hammered in the market for acquisitions that they've made. So what percentage of acquisitions are successful? So, uh, Tara, it's a great question. And, and anybody who asks, uh, my response is the difference between success and failure is expectations. So whenever somebody's buying a company, they have their chart and they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be able to get economies of scale. We're going to cut 10% costs. Uh, we're going to be able to do cross-selling between our clients. So that's going to add to the top line. And it's going to be kumbaya. Everybody's going to be happy. <laughs> it never works Dream- out that Dreaming. They, well, they, they are, but it's, it's, uh, it's expectations. What they don't factor in is the upset culture, the exit of uh, staff and employees, uh, having to uh, integrate people into new systems and processes, uh, the branding. There is always what we tell our clients, because 80% of what we do, we're a bit unique in the corporate finance world, and that 80% of what we do is work for the purchasers. So we are working with corporations who are looking to expand and grow. And we will tell them, your first two or three quarters expect a downturn. doesn't matter how much effort and how much pre-planning and how clever you are about, about the integration in those first 100 days. It's, it's going to take time and effort. So uh, to answer your, your question, if your expectation, uh, Tara, is that you're going to just naturally have that, that dip before things start clicking along, then I would say most acquisitions will work out fine. The issue is the press releases all talk about the upside. Nobody wants to hear 
mm. about the hiccup that's just going to happen with virtually every acquisition. Um, so from that expectation side, uh, most will, um, if, if, if your expectation is everything's going to go well and your, your planning's going to be executed flawlessly, uh, then you are going to be disappointed. Jerry, you know, uh, I want to stay for one more question on uh, the uh, BC, the before or after COVID. And um, did COVID impact the market in terms of buyers and sellers? Do you see uh, global buyers or everything is locally now because of the closed borders and, and, and the fear that people have? Yeah. For the traditional businesses, if I can call it that, um, uh, heavy metal traditional services, they were hit uh, hard by the closed borders because those buyers need to touch and feel it. On a technology side, hardly skip the beat. Uh, those, those folks were already accustomed to everything being on a computer, doing deals remotely. So we saw, uh, we saw a definite pause uh, in, in the traditional uh, M&A type, uh, type of deals. Like deals that were cooked, ready to go, you just had to sign on the bottom line, collapsed in March of 2020. And some of them were never revived again. So uh, COVID was a, I'd say, uh, almost a 12-month pause for a lot of businesses that should have transacted, it should have happened, the more traditional ones. But on the technology side, the heavy technology ones just carried on. It wasn't, there wasn't a big issue there at all. No impact there. Almost none. In, in fact, in fact, you can, you can see, and we get regular reports uh, across our desk all the time, and the amount of money in tech globally and in Canada the amount of M&A activity is, is at a record high and in 2020, and we'll, we'll see that again in 2021. Jerry, we have to uh, take a commercial break. Uh, following the commercial, we would like to discuss with you what makes uh, you know, an acquisition successful or what makes a company uh, successful as a target to be acquired or to buy someone else. Uh, we'll do it shortly after the commercials. And we're back uh, with our guest, Jerry uh, Robitai and Jer Jerry. Um, before we went to commercial, we mentioned that um, one of the segments we would like to kind of focus now is what makes one su company successful and, and makes them a target, while others struggle to sell themselves. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. So there's two answers to that. Uh, for one thing, you. When, when a company is looking to sell, they've been dealt a certain hand. This is the way their business is. But you can do many things to prepare, to, to properly position yourself to sell. We will recommend to some clients uh, to wait a year or two. Sometimes it's for tax planning purposes. Other times it's there's some clear clear um, structural changes that has to happen. And I can give you an example. A manufacturer of equipment had a money-losing operation in the U.S. It had been bleeding for two or three years. And it wasn't going to get any better. It had to be closed. If they had 
taken their company off the market for a year, closed that, restructured and put it back on, they would have achieved better results. What I will say, though, they didn't. They went to market and sold knowing that they would have to get a slightly lower price. But that's an example where the timing wasn't driven by what's the highest value we can get for this, for this company. Companies where the owner who is selling and likely wishing to retire, where they're not involved day-to-day, where they have a professional management team, where they have good data. So when a buyer comes to look at the business, the financial statements uh, are, are prepared hopefully audited. If they're a large enough company, it should be. They have good uh, metrics on the products they sell, the efficiency on the shop floor, if, if that's the kind of business they, they are, or in the engineering department or software development area. If they understand their market, if they have good, strong, long-term repeat clients, all of those things will assist in maximizing the value if if you're selling your business. You asked me for for two sides of that coin. The other side is, well, what makes it difficult or challenging to uh, to sell a business? Virtually the mirror opposite, of course, but, and we see this all the time. And I'll give you an example. Many years ago, a, a company that was making um, clothing, I'll just generally say, the owner had that business for four decades, wore about 13 hats. They were in their 80s. They tried to sell two or three times. Every time they would, uh, if they tried to walk away from the business, it would go sideways again. The classic example of personal goodwill. That owner knew every part of the business so well and they had structured it so everything funneled through them, their desk, very difficult to sell because who's going to step in and take that role? So in that particular case, uh, we would advise uh, the client to hire HR consultants to transform their uh, management structure, to bring in people and wait those two years and then sell if they have the time to wait. And there's many other factors that would uh, inhibit someone uh, someone being able to sell their, their business for the highest and best uh, the best price. But I, I don't think we want to go through all of those today. <laughs> we could have a two-hour-long special on that, likely. Um, I want to go back to, prior to the break, you had touched on culture. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. about when an acquisition happens and two companies are merging. What do leaders need to do to successfully merge those two cultures? Well, so to answer that question, and I'll, I'll go back to our typical client who's doing an, an acquisition, we spend a lot of time up front understanding their culture, how they work. The best thing you could do is to buy a company whose culture is similar to yours. So the number one issue, Tara, with Uh, culture is people don't pay attention to it and they buy strictly on financial metrics. Mm. So you, you can't, a horse can't change its spots or, uh, or stripes. 
A leopard. Thank you. Leopard spots, zebra stripes. David, you, you'll 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 keep me on the yeah. straight and narrow. Yeah, you always need an immigrant to kind of correct the English. <laughs> A horse can have spots. Come on. <laughs> So, 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 Tara, that's number one, is make sure the company you're buying, you can live with their culture. Because unless you're buying it because you want their manufacturing capacity, or unless you're buying it strictly because, uh, for instance, you like their balance sheet, uh, your need of their, their inventory, you don't care about the other aspects of the business and the people, which is not very often you don't care about that uh you better pay very close attention to the culture up front and then the ones that are successful instead of spending all their effort on the legal documents with their banks financing they dedicate a team on both sides to work out how they're going to integrate those first hundred days they spend as mm. much time on that as they do on the financial structure and, and the clauses in the legal agreement. Well, I mean, the people are your most important asset, right? You want to make sure that you're really paying attention. Do you see it happen, do you see it happen often that uh, they're focused 100 days on uh, people and not on numbers? Uh, in 25 years of doing this, I can um, maybe think of a couple instances, David. What prevents people? I mean, I- I'm wondering about that. I just want to dig into that just a little bit here because, I mean, how how do leaders get so short sighted that they're not thinking about the integration with people and how people might be feeling about the merger since they're the ones who are carrying all the frontline workers, everybody else, all the other levels of leadership. They're the ones who are ultimately going to be carrying this forward for the company. Let me help you, Jerry, on this one, because when Mm -hmm. we bought the company in 2006 and I was uh, heading that acquisition, I was, the numbers, I, every day I said, do we get a return on our investment? Do we get a return on our investment? Mm-hmm. Do we get, that was my kind of right. day in, in and day out, and day out. Like, mm-hmm. and it's, it's wrong. I, I know today now at my, you know, very old age. And, uh, but, mm-hmm. but that's, that, that, I think it's a natural thing, isn't it, Jerry? Yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right, uh, David. And here's the other thing I would add, because Tara, you asked a, a, a great question and, my earlier response wasn't meant to say that uh, these uh, these leaders are incompetent, uh, that they, they don't understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. I think they, they do. But when you get in a deal and you've got your banker and your equity providers and your shareholders and you've got your management and your staff and your operational people uh, all laser focused on those non-people side, it's easy to get distracted, as, as uh, David described. And most, over the 25 years, do look at it. So I, I want to be clear that that culture and fit, and who's going to be the leader in this area and how are we going to fit it, they spend time on it. Uh, I, I think what's the important point is they don't put enough weight on it. They don't spend enough time on that side of it. And there's a saying in our industries that, uh, deals are not like wine. They, they don't get better with age. So there's these, and, 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 and what David described is perfect. There's sort of these natural pressures to move on with it on both sides and, 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 and get it done. 
and you kind of feel like, oh, we can deal with those other integration issues. I've sketched it out on a piece of paper. We can deal with it after it closes. Jerry, we have uh, time for one more question, and that's mm-hmm. the elevator pitch. Will you see me in the elevator? What, does the, what are the two or three things you say? If you do this, I'll sell your company. David, you know how you are busy day-to-day running your operation and dealing with the human resource issues and with your bank, yet you have longer-term strategic visions for where you want the company to go? We help take that off your plate. Sounds like a great pitch to me. Done it very quickly. Thank you, Jerry. Sold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I appreciate your time to Jerry. Thank you so much. Once again, Jerry Robitaille.